Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another Redshirt Friday edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Janet Thompson, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural, urban, food producers, food consumers, everybody on earth. Janet Thompson, you know, there was a time when I could say that name about once a month or so on this broadcast. Now, I, I, I don't know what I got to do. Send requests in triplicate to get a hold of the Pope. Uh, I, I don't know. How have you been? Fine. Life has been interesting the last two years. <laughs> Wait a minute. And... Fine. I'm not happy with fine. I want you to be <laughs> I'm fantastic, Trent. <laughs> Well, I am fantastic, Trent, and I'm I'm probably going to throw you a curveball here. Okay. My dad's funeral is at eleven o'clock today, at ten o'clock this morning. And Janet, I did not know that. I know you didn't, and I typed out a response to you, Trent, for your listening audience. Trent texted me this morning at six o'clock and said, "My guest for rural route this morning has canceled. Is there any chance you can do seven to eight? And I typed out a response saying no. And then I erased it. And I want to share with your listeners my dad's bio. That's awesome. Because it's important for our world. And I'd like to let it speak for itself and go from there. Would you mind if I read it? I would love that. Okay. Walter Butch Huffnagel was his name. So he went by Butch. It's in here. To know him was to love him. Our beloved husband, father, and grandfather, Walter Butch Huffnagel, went to his eternal rest on January 17th. He lived a long, productive, and blessed life, and we are thankful for that. As a young man, Butch prayed for a ranch and a family. Through hard work, perseverance, integrity, and trust in God, those prayers were answered. Butch and Carol raised cattle and kids in Okarchi, Oklahoma, Tappan, North Dakota, and on the Red River in Southeast Oklahoma. Butch is survived by his wife, Carol, five kids, all who are married, 19 grandchildren, two of whom are married, and five great-grandchildren with one on the way. We kids live in Valentine, Nebraska, Edmond, Oklahoma, Luther, Oklahoma, Nazareth, Texas, and Matt and I are still in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Butch was preceded in death by his parents, his favorite uncle, five of his 11 siblings, and he has five living siblings. Walter Richard was born in the Huffnagel family farmhouse, six miles west, one mile south, and a quarter mile west of Okarchi, Oklahoma, on September 28, 1938, his parents, John and Mildred Higdon Huffnagel, had 11 children. Butch was the ninth. He was nicknamed Butch early in life, and the name stuck. He and his brother Jim were taken under Uncle Frank's wing in the large family. Frank taught hard work and good farming practices, devotion to God, and how to drink beer. Butch attended Holy Trinity Catholic School for 12 years and never got kicked out. He attended Oklahoma A&M for a brief time, but left to pursue his passion, agriculture. He joined his father, uncle, and a brother on the family farm. 
He served with the U.S. Army Reserves in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and was honorably discharged in 1958. He always said that his time in the Army was good for him. He learned discipline, how to make a bed that a coin could bounce off of, and how to befriend people from all walks of life. On a trip back east for a cousin's wedding, Butch met Carol Grayler at a dance hall. He told her that very night that he would marry her. Thirteen months later, he did just that in Jasper, Indiana, on November 7, 1964. The young couple lived on 2nd Street in Okarchie, where Rick, Karen, and Diane were born. Butch invested in property in South Dakota, but continued to operate in Oklahoma. In 1968, Butch and Carol moved to Tappan, North Dakota. They installed some of the original center pivot irrigation systems in the state and fed corn silage to stocker cattle. They obviously did not work all the time. Janet and Donnie showed up in the North Dakota years. In August of 1979, after some very tough cold winters, Butch bought property on the Red River south of Hugo, Oklahoma. He, Carol, and the five kids actively worked on the ranch. The kids learned the cattle business and all it entails, the value of hard work, that family and relationships are the backbone to success, and that sometimes, no matter how much planning and hard work are involved, the markets go against you. They learned to trust God in moments of hardship. Butch had a run-in with a tractor and disc in 1980 and almost lost. Having lived in southeast Oklahoma for less than a year, his five-week stay in the hospital and subsequent recovery taught him increased patience and the value of good neighbors. The wheat got harvested. The heifers were calved. And when he got back up on the John Deere 4020 for the first time, he had his picture taken. We are very thankful for his 42-plus bonus years. In 1986, in order to prevent selling cattle at a loss, Butch took the risk of retaining ownership of cattle through the feedlot. That decision began a significant chapter in his life that took him to numerous states, where he dealt with new acquaintances who became lifelong friends. Although he was a risk-taker, Butch valued stability enough to endure the mundane and persevere through challenging times. In the early 1990s, Butch and Carol were instrumental in helping to raise their two oldest grandchildren, Megan and Ty. The impact they had on these children during their formative years is evident. Megan and Ty honor Butch's memory in the way they live their lives and are growing their own young families. When Butch and Carol sold the ranch in the early 2000s, hearts across the Red River bottom were heard breaking for miles around. But the place went to good people who have been excellent caretakers of the land and have welcomed the Huffnagels on trips back through the bottoms. Investments in cattle and relationships in the bovine world continue to grow and blessings blossomed. Rooted in quiet faith, Butch was honest and reliable. People who did business with him knew that his word was his bond. Butch was an avid student of history and taught it to others through the stories he told. He was good at telling stories, likely in part because he grew up telling jokes. His quick wit and subtle asides are treasured memories. A couple of years ago, Butch pulled through an illness when we did not think he would. One of the kids said, well, I guess God wasn't finished with him yet. Another replied, 
I think God wasn't finished with us yet. Dad's final two years did not appear to be productive. In fact, from the outside looking in, it was ugly. To see that strong man with a sharp mind deteriorate physically and mentally was excruciating. But now, looking back, God's perfect plan is apparent. Butch continued to teach us when we didn't think there was anything left to learn from him. Without complaint, he bore pain and frustration. He delighted the nursing home staff and residents with his humor. He complimented his wife of 58 years every time she walked into his room, showing his love and appreciation for her. Butch exemplified patience, perseverance, humor, and love despite his circumstances. His is a life worth imitating. I think God wasn't finished with us yet. That's huge. That's that's spot on, Janet. I think we're living in a society trend that has increasingly devalued the value of human life. I agree 100%. And and there is value in every person no matter. Mhm how productive they are. And I know that's tough for all of us agriculturalists or doers. We, we find our value in doing. So in closing this first segment, I just got to share with you what has happened. I had Ben Hofer, another godly man lined up to join us today from Manitoba. He woke up not feeling well when he wasn't feeling well. I thought, you know what? I heard from Janet last week. It's time to get Janet back on a red shirt Friday, not knowing about her father, not even remembering that her father was a veteran of this nation. And here we are, the right time at the right place. Dare you doubt God's not at work every single day. We'll be back with more. Roll route on a red shirt Friday. Janet Huffnagel Thompson after this. How about that for news and a curveball? That's a knuckleball, Janet. There's some knuckleballs been thrown in Northeast Colorado this week as well. Robert Farnham has let me know that today at 4 o'clock, you're invited to High Plains Cattle Supply. Coming together and celebrating life. That's what it's going to be about. There's going to be a little pig roast involved. And if you'd like to be a part of celebrating the pig roast or, excuse me, celebrating the life see at High Plains Cattle Supply. I can't be there. Wish I could. Thanks, Robert. Ashley. Welcome back. Trent Lewis alongside Janet Huffnagel Thompson. Uh, Normally, I would just say Janet Thompson, but the spirit of the day is make sure that we have Butch in our mind. Everyone understands. Uh, I, I just want to share something with you because it's Probably the toughest thing I've, no, no, no. It is the toughest thing I've experienced. You know, we lost my father nearly five years ago to Alzheimer's and he never spoke a word, never spoke a sentence in the last year of his life. It's just really tough to watch your, your parent, your, your mentor, your leader do that. And yet you, I just, I think you put it in the proper context when you, when you put it in the context of still teaching us and God's not finished with us. 
You're right. You're absolutely right. We have we have valued everything. We have earth worshiping taking place around the world today, and everybody wants to put value on everything other than God's creation and a human being, the caretaker of the land and the educator from one generation to the next. And that is the most amazing obituary and celebration of anybody's life I think I've ever heard. Thank you. Well, I kind of wrote the skeleton. I can't. I, so I drove down a week ago today mm-hmm. and that's when I sent you the text saying, I'm going to be on the road for the next six hours. If you want to try to call anytime. And, and, um, it's been, it's been a wild ride and we haven't had much sleep. Um, for the record, I did not call, not because I didn't want to. <laughs> Just want to say that. Oh, no. I I, I had a good know, window, I, and I, I lost it. I lost the whole window. I, I throw hours. it out there. I throw it out there when I'm driving because it's a good time to, to talk. And our phone doesn't work very well at our home place in Missouri. And uh, so when I'm driving, it's a good time to get good conversations in because – incredibly almost the entire way there's a little spot on the indian nation turnpike Mm -hmm. just north of antlers through to just south of antlers that it cuts out but other than that it's amazing the entire way i've got good reception well i think i I thought now i know otherwise i thought you were on my mind today because number one you sent that note last week and number two i speak tomorrow night in boonville and so I had this romantic notion that Matt and yourself would make your way to Boonville and I could see it, but yeah, we got, you got other plans. We're going to church in Boonville now, Trent. Are you really? Uh-huh. Boonville's 30 minutes away, 30 right. miles away from where we are. So Cooper, Cooper uh, County Cattlemen tomorrow night. Nice. It's a, it's a great place, a good, solid community. How's the family? We're, we are well, in fact, what you said, I said, I'm fine. You said that's not good enough when we first hooked up and, um, we're, we're more than fine. We're, we are the richest person, people in the world. And, and so we had a, a vigil for dad last night and, and then a visitation. And it, it was like the old Irish wake. Dad's half Irish, half Catholic. His mom was a Higdon, and so after we had the prayer service in the main church, we wheeled Dad down into the activity center, and we uh, drank a few beers and told stories and just shared, just shared relationships. And first of all, I don't want anybody in the agriculture world to take for granted the amazing connections and this bond that we all have, it is special and it is, it's not unique. There are other industries that have that connection, but in, there are fewer of them as we go through this advance in technology and um, this crazy fast world that we live in. But these ag roots go deep and the people that showed up last night and that we'll be at the funeral this morning. And then we're going to bury dad in Okarchi tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to take him up in the back of the pickup and bury him in his hometown. And then we're going to uh, have a 
gathering at Expedenture Brewery in Okarchie, Oklahoma, and we're going to toast Butch. But the the people that have reached out and called and visited our, our neighbor from from next door on the ranch in, in Oklahoma stopped by, I don't know, within the last couple of days. And he sat on the deck with us and we visited with Billy Flanagan. And we don't all agree with each other all the time. But just like when dad had that tractor accident in 1980, when, when at the end of the day, we take care of each other and we take care of getting the wheat harvested and the heifers calved. And there's a, there's a deep love in our ag community that's special. It, it's a bittersweet love so many days, Janet, because <clears throat> you, what you said is spot on. We have each other's backs, but at times we just don't think we can stand each other. But when your back's against the wall, you're there for each other. Well, and in a free and po- prosperous society, we should disagree with each other. We should be able to say what's on our minds and debate and have heavy arguments. That's that's what makes us all better. And so that's another great deterioration in our society, that we can't be honest and say what we think. Everybody has to think about political correctness first. And I tell you, when you're out there working cattle and you you have to get things done, true doers can't think about hurting somebody's feelings before they do. We've got to do I don't know. It's. I had a conversation yesterday <clears throat> along these lines with a person who is uh, in the family of a, a business that has done extremely well for the past 40 years. And <clears throat> she said to me that <clears throat> XYZ company has had to do things from a political correctness standpoint that nobody in the company agreed with, but they would have been unable to accomplish what they have company-wide had they not done that. I'll just give you a case in point. Uh, in the last few years, there's a big situation about whether or not the company mandates the jab. That's an erosion of freedom. And yet companies have done it feeling like they had to, to continue to have this social license to operate. Janet, you, you underestimate how influential you've been in my life. I mean, you talked about the teaching aspect and the mentoring of Butch Nagel, of Huffnagel, excuse me. Uh, you've done that for me. You know, I thought that I was a conservative. I thought that I believed in smaller government. I thought that I believed in local control. You taught me I wasn't even a, a percentage of the way there. And now we know why you're such a good teacher. It comes to you genetically. But what you said is huge. We cannot continue to be worried about what we say. And I come back to what I've always said. Anybody who's offended by something you said, it's only because they feel guilty about it. Well, yeah, I I, I do think there are people that, that want to tear our society apart. And that's one of the ways they do it. 
and you know if if we're if we're talking to each other i'm i am going to say things wrong sometimes even even when i don't mean to i and you know that's just life that's communication they're trying to roboticize all of us and i'd rather deal with real people hey when when are you going to your next break do 45 i have time seconds to- let me come in the next segment with the story about the, the funeral home operator here. That's a good story. That <laughs> sounds like the perfect place to say Janet Huffnagel Thompson, our guest. It is a red shirt Friday roll route. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more right after this. Oh, what an amazing individual Janet is. I want to say thank you to Lignite Energy, the folks that continue to keep the lights on. Get details about the environmental sustainability. Get details about the restoration. Get details about how the people just work, no matter what the weather, to keep the lights on. You find all of those details at Lignite.com. This is a big weekend in the world of Protect the Harvest for a free and fat America. We must continue to empower ourselves and protect the harvest, get you the information. Fighting against the ban on rodeos and equine events in Los Angeles now. You know, people say, well, what does that affect us? I had the same issue. When I went to New York City to help fight for the horse and carriage sector, I understood that this had a relevance to me continuing to take care of animals in the Great Plains of America. Protect the Harvest has the Whitetails Unlimited fundraising event in Springfield, Missouri this weekend. If you can't make it to Springfield, just go to the website, protecttheharvest.com. It is, quite simply, all about preserving a free and fed America. And you can't can't sit back and expect somebody else to do it. You, you, my friends, are the answer. Protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Trent Luce alongside Janet Tuffnagel-Thompson joining us today from Paris, Texas, calling Columbia, Missouri home. Before the break, she set up this teaser so that everybody wanted to come back right away. You got a story you wanted to share. Yes. So my, I've got two brothers and two sisters and Rick and Diane and I were here on Monday night. We were, we were finally actually getting a decent sleep. Um, and the phone rang and they said that dad had passed away down at the nursing home. And we had, we put him in this nursing home at the end of October. And again, that's another story that's, um, uh, I can expound on here in a second, but we went down there and the hospice nurse showed up and she called the funeral home. Dr. Kelsey Gibbs is a, is a, I think he's an internist here in Paris, Texas. I might be wrong about what kind of doctor he is, but he's been a doctor to members of our family through the years. And he, his dad owned the funeral home in town and he took it over. And uh, when she called, Dr. Gibbs answered the phone at midnight or 1230 in the morning. And they said, and we, we actually saw him yesterday at the funeral home and he was in a, he was in a, an old pickup at the backside of his funeral home. That's where we saw him. And, um, he said, I hate answering services. And my dad 
ran this thing for 40 years and always answered the phone. Mm. So when, so when their office is closed, all calls go directly to Dr. Gibbs. And when, when the hospice nurse called, he said, I want to talk to Carol. And he had a conversation with my mom at 1230 a.m. Tuesday. We've got to get back to that in our world in order for our world to work. I know everybody thinks that we have to go the other way. We have to have that phone with nine options on when you call. Doesn't that drive everybody crazy? If Dr. Gibbs can do it at his age, I think we can do it. There's a guy that has not lost sight of the value of human life, Janet. That's right. And more times than not, my phone's dead, so those nine options aren't available. And then people are complaining, I can't ever get a hold of you. Yeah. There you are. Well, the other thing that I that I thought is a valuable thing to share. Um, mom so that illness that dad had two years ago, that was in January of twenty one. Mm-hmm. And uh actually my daughter and and Karen's daughter had come down here to visit mom and dad. And dad had some sort of a stroke while they were here and they took him into the, in an ambulance. And it was, it was pretty traumatic for those young 20 year olds. I think 20 and 18, maybe they were. And uh, anyway, we, dad never fully recovered from that, but mom took care of dad for over a year here at the house by herself the closest one of us kids is about three and a half, four hours away. And we're a very close family. When you asked earlier, how's the family? And I said, we're very rich. We were, (laughs) we're a very close family. And, and on this whole COVID thing, we agreed the whole time through mom at the age of 80 plus said, I've lived all my life without wearing masks and taking this shot. I'm going to be fine. And she didn't stop doing, she didn't stop hugging people. She didn't stop visiting. And, um, but we were all in agreement on that and we all supported each other. And I think we're fairly rare for that to have been the case. There are 37 of us plus dad. And so we were very rich, but anyway, mom took care of dad here at the house for a year and it was pretty hard on her. She never complained. She didn't, she didn't say anything, but that's a tough, that's a tough gig. And these people that are caretakers for loved ones for years, God bless them. That is hard. It's, it's, there's just so many little things. So, uh, February 7th of last year, we moved dad into an assisted living place, just five minutes around the corner. Um, and that, took some pressure off of mom however you still have to you know she would go visit daily or multiple times a day and there are lots of responsibilities still can can i interject here because i have some family experience it took physical pressure off of your mom but i without being there i know that your mom felt some level of guilt that 
I'm not taking care of him. We put him in this hospital, this nursing home. And I know that because I saw that work on my mom so hard the day we decided that my dad had to go in. There are families dealing with this every day. And it's the mental anguish as well as the physical that just, just God bless them. God be with them to carry them through that tough time. Yes. And perfectly said. That was a good interjection. Um, end of October. Um, so this is supposedly the best place around. It's a private pay, very expensive. And things had, had deteriorated. Just the things weren't happening the way they should have given circumstances and what we were paying. So at the spur of the moment, I was talking to mom one morning on my way to work. And uh, I thought, mom is, mom needs help. So I went into work and said, I need to work from home. I'll tell you where I'm working now too, Trent. That's another story for the last segment. But um, I came home and that was on a Tuesday night. Um, planning to stay indefinitely to move dad back home out of that place until we could get him into a, a place that could take care of him properly. And God, oh my gosh, that week God was with us and we, we found Brentwood Terrace, um, about 10 minutes away on the other side of town, other side of mom, where mom and dad's house is. And my brother from Luther came down and we got dad moved into the nursing home in October, end of October. And mom, and so that's where he's been ever since. And Trent, you know, it's hard to find good employees. It's, and it's hard to run a place like that. Mm-hmm. But that place has been amazing. I mean, the genuine, these people, I don't even know how they do it. I don't know how they have time to, to make everybody feel so special, but they do. And they, and they did a good job taking care of dad. And, um, so we, and, and he also, you know, every, I, most people, I think, would think a private room is better. That's a better option. Well, they didn't have any, and they moved Dad into a room with Larry Milam, and Larry ran a helped uh, a family in Detroit, Texas, run cows for years. That's what Larry did. He took care of cattle, and Larry it was an absolute godsend. We had somebody in that room with Dad, twenty four hours a day, who cared for Dad, and and in two and a half months. Larry's a part of our family now. He's going to be at the funeral this morning. He would he would call me and push the button and call the nurses when when Dad needed help, and he'd let them know. He said, "I think Butch needs to get back into bed now," and uh, he would report to Mom and every day about how Dad slept and what had happened, and it was just a real godsend. So, uh, Mom has said, "Oh, I wish we'd gotten him over here sooner." Wish we'd gotten him over here sooner. But that's God has perfect timing. And if we hadn't, when, when we walked back into the house about two thirty, two o'clock Tuesday morning, it's an empty house. And it struck me that if, if we hadn't put dad into the assisted living place and then the nursing home, if mom had kept him at home the whole time, 
she would now be walking into an empty house and have this stark contrast to what her life had been. This has helped us transition. Mm. And it's going to be a little bit easier for mom because she is used to not being, not having dad at the house with her. And if it hadn't been for the, for that less than perfect time at the assisted living place, we wouldn't have known to appreciate Brentwood so much. God set it up. And and Larry may not have had the same availability in his room that he'd end up having. Oh man, it, it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. We and we can see the sun shining on you, and you're glowing in that regard. It, it has been nice sitting out here watching the sunrise on the east side. Oh well, yeah, it's obviously on. The sun is still rising in the east. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, that is the moral of the story. The sun still comes up in the east. It goes over at high noon and it goes down in the west. Maybe they're going to change that this week in Davos, but you know what? That's the way that it is yet today. I think that's a huge statement, Janet. Stun, sun still comes up in the east. Just, just sit and ponder about that a minute because it, it seems like the silliest, simple little thing, but it's not. It's pretty complex in my mind. Janet Huffnagel-Thompson, my guest. She's in Paris, Texas. We will continue our tribute to the life and the families who've been empowered by Butch Huffnagel. We're back with the last segment after this. The sun does come up, and it's pretty nice today. In fact, 8 degrees when it came up with 2 feet of snow. Let's talk about Cattlemen, Great Plains Cattlemen. You have the opportunity to be a part of a brand of beef program that pays you properly it's not easy being a cattleman. It's not easy producing a consistent supply of beef. What you need to do, and it's not easy to get paid properly, but you're part of a system that gets more to of the consumer's food dollar to the producer. We're not talking about the consumer paying more. We're talking about more of it getting to the people who actually take the risk. The certified Piedmontese system has created that method, and it works extremely well. You can go to the website yourself and see what the products are like, certifiedpiedmontese.com. I cannot stop raving about the grass-fed. I, I, I'm struggling getting over that, to be honest. But the grass-fed prime rib that we had at the Certified Piedmontese Banquet Monday night, it was actually North American Piedmontese Association Annual Banquet. Oh, man, have you seen the video of this thing? That's the kind of eating experience we want to generate time in and time out and pay the producer properly. So, CertifiedPiedmontese.com to see what we're producing. Lone Creek Cattle Company to see how you can be a part of the system. Welcome back. Roll route. Janet Huffnagel-Thompson joining us from Paris, Texas. And it's been several years since she's actually joined me on the air. But if you picked it up, She's been here enough that she knows exactly when she can start stories and when she can't because she doesn't want me in the middle of interrupting her. She's just, she's going to be back regular. I can just tell that now. You 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 got to tell us what you're doing. You're not teaching young minds of mush anymore. Well, you know, you and I joked. 
I, I taught in the public school system for eight years mm-hmm. and you and I always joked. I said every year I was like, I've gone longer than I expected. I thought I'd be fired by now and they never fired me. And you said, well, if they do, I want you to get on here and tell me about it. Well, they never did fire me, Trent. I tried to get them to, but they never did. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's clarify that. You tried to get them to fire you because you were doing the right thing. Well, I I certainly hope so. But uh, the summer of 21, I taught summer school. And it was that, that first year back with the first semester we didn't, we, we were all remote second semester, the first half we were, um, hybrid where they, they, some students were in, half of them would come on two days a week and half of them would come two other days. And then Wednesdays were for everybody to plan. And, and then the final quarter we were in school with masks on, um, that's not good for people. It's not good for education. It's not good for learning. It's not good for making personal connections. And I don't believe it's good for health, but I did it to fulfill my contract, do my job that summer. They couldn't find that for some reason, the teachers were all too stressed out and, they just couldn't teach that summer. So uh, normally I didn't teach summer school, but that summer I did, they couldn't find math teachers. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And they did, they dropped the mask mandate at the beginning of summer. And I taught summer school. Now I have to admit right the way through, I hugged anybody that would allow me to. And I knew there were cameras at school filming me hugging people, but I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Cause that's what kids need. Kids need to know that they can be hugged by an adult and it's not always bad. And uh, I think they're hungry for touch for human contact. But anyway, I taught summer school, had some amazing experiences in summer school, went into the, was planning to go into the next school year and three days before we were to, the teachers were to report for, for the school year, the district re-implemented a mask mandate. And by that time, I think we knew it was a load of hooey. And I had got through teaching all summer without one. And everybody I knew was still alive. And so I told, I called my principal and I said, I'm not going to wear a mask. And he said, well, I don't, I don't think we can, I don't think we can have it both ways. I, you're going to have to wear a mask in order to teach. And, and I said, well, I'm not going to do it. And I said, and I intend to fulfill my contract. I intend to teach, but I'm not going to wear a mask. And anyway, of course, went up the line and the, all of the human resources people. And finally, one of the human resources women was like, she didn't say the words, but she sort of gave the the opening. Well, maybe if you get a mask exemption, if you get a medical exemption, we, we can work with you. I said, okay, I've got a medical exemption. I've got a, I've got a doctor who has said, this is really bad for your health and, and he'll put his name to it. And he did to his credit. Um, 
another guy that's willing to put his name and, and life income on the line. So, uh, went through that process and they didn't respond and they didn't respond and it was back and forth and back and forth. And they wanted to know exactly what my underlying medical conditions were. And I did have some, I, I had a pulmonary embolism in November of 2019 and, uh, I don't think wearing a mask is a good thing for people that are prone to blood clots, but that was none of their business. They didn't, the, by law, they cannot ask that question. Mm -hmm. My doctor said that I was exempt and that should have been enough. And the school district knew it. Anyway, we went back and forth and, and of course school started and they would not let me in the building. And I was, so I was Zooming with these kids. And by, after a week, the students had no idea why I was not in the classroom. So at the end of that week, I wrote a letter to the students and parents. And I told them why I wasn't in the classroom. And I said, if, I mean, I'm ready to get into the classroom. The school district needs to let me into the classroom. And by Within a, within a couple of hours, they had me cut off completely from all communication. And uh, it got ugly from there. And bless those students' hearts. It was a terrible year for them. I never, I never was in, in school. I never was in the classroom. And uh, they had substitutes. And it was just a mess for them. I hate it. I hate it for them. Um. But anyway, on August 31st. Uh, uh, hold on. Before August 31st, have you considered how much you taught those students, even though you think it was a mess for them? They saw somebody who was resilient and did not cave to their own values. Well, I hope I hope that there was some impact in that way, Trent. Um, it It's this is the first time I've talked about it publicly and the, the narrative is controlled. And, you know, Columbia, Missouri, home of university, it it has the home of university of Missouri, uh, land grant university, uh, ag college, um, man, things are bad. Mm. And so anyway, I pray, I pray that, People will see the actions behind it. Um, anyway, I uh, I started working at Midway USA, which is an online retailer of hunting, fishing, um, shooting, all kinds of supplies. And they are outside the city limits of Columbia. They're, they're founded there in, in Columbia or uh, Midway out, out to the west of Columbia. Halfway Still to the private. river. Still, yep, that's right. Still privately owned, and um, they did not have a mask mandate. And I, so I, I went to them and and said, I'm willing to do anything you want me to do. Keep my keep my insurance going, and um, I started a job with customer service with Midway. And but my first, the first thing I said to the human resources guy, I said, Do you guys have a mask mandate? And he said, no. And I told him up front, I said, I, I will not, I will not wear one. And anyway, later, this guy that was in HR told me 
that he said the entire time I was talking to you on the phone that day, he said, you couldn't see me, but I was nodding to everything you said. And so there are a lot of people that are, that are in agreement and feel like they can't speak. Um, but you know, when, when, uh, and then the school and I came to a mutual, mutual agreement eventually. And so we parted ways, but they never did fire me. And, uh, kind of dared them to but you, you know proved, you proved me wrong is that what you're saying i proved you wrong <laughs> you i never think got. i proved myself wrong <laughs> uh i i just before we wrap up with some celebratory thing i i just want to say janet i i, I the most perplexing thing about the last three years through the covid experiment is how willing people are to carry out marching orders from somebody, whether they agree or disagree, the the mandates come down from Jeff City, the mandates come down from Washington, D.C., and there is no reason that people in that school system need to be so militant in making sure you follow it, except they just sign up and they're good little soldiers. I cannot believe the willing compliance of people to remove liberties from their fellow man. The the money go round is very powerful, and I believe they re-implemented the mass mandate to get more federal funding. I can't uh, prove it, but uh, uh, I guarantee you, right? Are there. Um, and Trent, I can tell you how much time you have left. <laughs> Minute and a half. But beyond the money aspect, once the school makes a decision, whether it's school board, superintendent, whoever made the decision. The majority of people in that school are all about, you have to do what they say. Yeah. Why? Why are we so compliant? And it, and it comes back to, I learned about the Holocaust and World War II. And I'm like, how do all these Germans comply and go along with doing this? I no longer ask that question. I now know. That's right. Yeah, we did. We saw, we saw exactly how that, how that works. And, and it's, it's frightening stuff, but, but there is hope. We do have, I, I believe a growing number of people that have found somewhere deep in their bellies, even, even people that got the shots and, and complied, didn't go back and get the boosters and they're starting to see, you know, it, it didn't, didn't work. This was, they were pushing something that didn't work. And, and I think again, bringing it back full circle to people like my dad, that independent thought that is inherent in running your own property is invaluable. And when we have, I don't even know what the numbers are now, Trent, less than, certainly less than 2% of our population involved in production agriculture. I suspect a lot less than that. It gets harder and harder. You lose touch with reality when, when you uh, don't have that connection to production. And that's a problem that's hard to fix. But I do think there's something deep in people's bellies that they figure it out. And at some point, people are going to say, nope, enough is enough. The Huffnagel family. 38 Strong have remained rooted in what's important in life thanks to the guidance 
of Butch and Carol Huffnagel. Janet, thank you. Thank you, Trent. We've journeyed down the road connecting food producers, food consumers. All roads do lead to a rural route.